Well, today, um, we actually are, well, we've kind of wrapped up some things. We've been marching through the Gospel of Mark, moving towards the empty tomb, moving towards that moment when Jesus' resurrection would be fulfilled. The cross, it is finished, will have been finished and been completed. And today, uh, we're talking a little bit more about, well, what happens next? Because, you know, that's quite honestly so often the question in our lives, what happens next? next. And so for us, what is next? Um, Jesus encounters his disciples in the book of Acts. And um, in Acts chapter 1, we sort of see this kind of what's next. And Luke, the writer of Acts, um, we think it's Luke because, well, Luke began with a statement that said, he was writing a gospel account to a man named Theophilus, or perhaps that just sort of means God lover, so maybe he was writing to the whole church and to the people of God. And writing to Theophilus, well, here we pick up in Acts chapter 1, and it says, in my former book, Theophilus. So probably the same guy. So Luke, uh, in my former book, Theophilus, Luke is writing, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Notice this began to do and teach. Up until the day, until he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through his Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. All those things Jesus had done. All of those things he began to do and began to teach. We're living in what God is doing right now in the world, but I mean, what was it like? Some of the miracles that we saw. What was it like to see Jairus' daughter, just little girl, get up? What was it like to see 5,000 people and everybody's hungry and they've been with Jesus and they're all getting hangry and Jesus has got a plan that he takes one little loaf lunch from one little boy and feeds 5,000? What was it like when he just said, Lazarus, come out? Or when he tells the blind man to see? What, does, what was it like? All that he began to do, all that he began to teach, what was it like? We see in verse 3, it says, After his suffering, after the cross, he presented himself to the disciples, and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was like. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Anybody think people are paying attention to those Bible studies? I mean, sometimes, and those of you that know, I, I, I teach New Testament and Old Testament over at Stevenson, and it is fourth quarter, right? It is after Easter. It is last unit. Students are done. They are done. They are ready to be through with this semester. They don't want to learn anymore. They don't want to absorb anymore. They are through, and quite honestly, I might be too. And, and yet, I, I mean, it's, I, mean I, I think in this moment, the people were like, Another appearance of Jesus. He's back. What have you got to say? I mean, were you writing down notes? Were you hanging on every word? Oh, what was it like to be there as he spoke during those 40 days about the kingdom of God and gave these convincing proofs that he was alive? Do you ever wish that you were there? Do you ever wish that you had seen it? That you had witnessed all that Jesus did? Sometimes there's me that I just want to lean back. I, I, I want to go back. I, I, I want to be part of that crowd that was there. Or maybe one of those disciples that got called up on the mountain to see the transfiguration. Or so, I wish that I were there. But brothers and sisters, we need to have that same excitement today. The Lord is moving today. God is working in our lives today. 
Jesus had begun to teach them many things. Jesus began to show all that the kingdom of God would be. Jesus had revealed all that God was within his fullness. And I don't want to pretend to think that there's some kind of progressive revelation that somehow we're going to learn out some new secret things. Oh, no, no, no. All the fullness of God dwelt in him. He is the final word. He is the final revelation. And yet in him he had not, even in that short amount of time, been able to teach his disciples all the things that they would need to know. And all the ways that it was to live out this kingdom of God. So we have God's word, and we have something else today that we're going to talk about. In this occasion, it says, verse 4, on one occasion, while Jesus, this resurrected Jesus, was eating with those disciples, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speaking about. What gift? What, what gift? I always kind of get my ears, oh, a gift? There's a free gift? Is there something? Wait, what do we get? What was the gift? He tells us in the next verse, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, God has given us this great, incredible gift. God has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have all the ideas. I don't have all the clues. But listen, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is the plan. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God. The Holy Spirit is the one we need. We've been going through a bit of a church revitalization here. And some of you have been on this exciting little journey with us for the last year or so. And... We don't know, have to know everything because God has given us this incredible gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let us talk about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The Spirit teaches us. The Spirit teaches us. In John 14, Jesus tells us this. This is when he is referring to when he says, you've heard me talk about this gift. Well, in John 14, right before the crucifixion, we see the longest account of what Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, Jesus says, all this I've spoken spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The Advocate. Some of your translations might say the counselor. Some of your some of my translations might have another word here. The word in Greek is the paraclete. It means, <clears throat> I always tell them, it's because I have a lot of athletes in my New Testament class. I'm like, paraclete. It's not what you've got in your locker that you're going to go play in. It's not your pair of cleats. It's not, it's, it's not the pair of cleats. Um, it, it, it's the, but that's how they remember it until they get it right on the test, right? <laughs> it's not your pair, but it's the God's one who comes alongside, one who's called there to help us. Um, I don't know if you've got other paracletes in your life, people that help you, people who support you, people who make sure that things come together. I have paracletes that help me in the, in the campus ministry in the sense that they come alongside, they minister and serve together with me. <clears throat> There's this lady in Towson. When it comes to tax time, she's my paraclete. <laughs> right? I, I, I can't figure that thing out. The tax code changes. I don't know. My income goes up and my, my tax liability goes down if she's able to work on it, but I, sometimes it's the other way around. My income goes down and my tax liability... I don't know how to make it work, but somehow she makes it work and she turns it in and then some kind of refund comes, and yay, I'm helped. And I'm I need people in my life to come alongside and help. 
But this is not just any person. This is not just a medical professional. This is not just an accountant. This is not just, this is God's spirit that indwells us. This is God's counselor, this advocate, this one who is on our side to get us across to the finish line. When you feel stuck in that sin, this is the one who can break the chains. When you feel like you don't know the direction, where to go, what to do, this is the one who gives the word. This is the one who gives us the advice. The Holy Spirit, the advocate is with us. And do you notice? That is an amen. That is an amen. Because I can't do it on my own. Never could. And when I thought I could, well, I was just wrong. The Holy Spirit comes and teaches us all things. Notice, he will teach you all things. He, he will remind you of everything that I have said to you. I can tell you my students probably needed a little bit of a, a reminder of the things, all the things I said to them on this last test because some of the grades weren't so good. Um, even with the bonus, even with the extra credit, it just didn't seem like they could get there. What? Do you remember all of the things that the Lord has taught us? Well, we don't. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to constantly bring that word to us. You've had this experience, right? You've had this experience where you didn't exactly know what to do, but then there's that verse of scripture that just pops into mind. Have you had that? Have you had that moment where it's just like, boy, this just seems the right thing? I was talking to, to a young man, and I, this, okay, <clears throat> I'm just going to give you my little window into college ministry for a minute. It's April. In April, every student that I know wants to talk to me about changing their major. No one likes their major in April. Nobody like, I don't know if this is what God really wants for me to do. I don't know. It's April. You all want to quit. Everybody wants to change. Everybody wants to get on a different ship going somewhere. Everybody wants to move to Hawaii. I get it. We all want something different in our lives in April. When you're in the school semester, that's just who we are. That's just the nature of all things. I need God's Spirit to come in and say, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you made a commitment, follow through with it. Or maybe I need the, 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 the Holy Spirit to come and say, you know, this is the direction. Walk in it. That still, small voice in my heart and my mind saying, reminding me of those truths of God's word. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us of all things. Why? Because look what Jesus said in verse 12. This is not talking about some kind of extra revelation or some kind of extra secret truth or some extra kind of knowledge. No, God has given us everything we need, but Jesus does say, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear right now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's not going to speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. The Holy Spirit continues to teach us about the nature and heart of God, continues to remind us those truths that Jesus taught us. He continued to work especially through the apostles, especially through men like Peter and Paul and John, these ones who gave us in the scripture, because that ends up being our ultimate guide to truth. We, the Holy Spirit's not going to lead you to some kind of special idea that is contrary to God's word. God's word um, becomes that, that stable guide. But the Holy Spirit does remind us of those truths, teach us about those truths, guide us deeper into application of those truths in specific scenarios and specific ways. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. But the Holy Spirit also empowers. The Holy Spirit 
empowers. Listen to what it says in, in Acts chapter 1. It says they gathered around him, around Jesus, as he's telling them to wait in Jerusalem, wait for the gift that God has said. They gathered around him and said, okay, the gift is coming. All right, all right, gift. I like a gift. Um, but Lord, we got a question. Are you now at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus had been with them three years. He'd been explaining about the, now the kingdom is in your midst. The Messiah has come. The new life is here. And they were still thinking about a political kingdom. They were still thinking about driving out those Roman oppressors. They were still thinking about, <clears throat> in this new kingdom, am I going to be like Secretary of State or maybe like Secretary of the Army? I mean, you need a vice president, Jesus. You need a vice messiah. I mean, I, you know, you know, you just someone along the side there. Do you need a little help? Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I, right now my calendar is clear and, and I, feel, I feel pretty, uh, you know, after, all, after these three years of training, I feel ready to go. They were ready for this kind of authority, this kind of power, this kind of place where they would be in charge. And look at Jesus' response. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times and the date set by the Father has set by his own authority. The authority is in the Father. The authority is in God. The kingdom belongs to him. That's where the authority is. But you want to be in charge. You want, no, 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 power is different. Because you will actually receive Power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is not power to rule over lives. And in fact, the Paul says in uh, the Corinthians, one of the Corinthian letters, he says, look, it's not that we are those who rule over you, but we are sharers in your joy. We are those that are there for your encouragement. We are to come alongside you. It's not power of being in charge. It's not power of position. It's not power of title. It's not power of hierarchy. It's an internal power that is God-given, not just character strength, but a strength that transforms our character. It's not just a, some kind of idea, but it is a presence and power of the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. You see, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter something, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, that, that if any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. This new thing has happened. We are not just us. We are us 2.0 because God's Spirit dwells in us. It is a power, a strength that helps us say no to sin. What does it say in Titus? It says the gospel that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, that gospel, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the return of our glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives self-control. It's a fruit of his spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's a transformation that can only happen with the Holy Spirit. Are you losing some battles to sin right now? Are, are there those places where the anger or the frustration or the lust or the greed or the, or the worry of these lives are just running you down? Brothers and sisters, if you're trying to do it on your own, if you're not tapping into the power that is within you, then of course you are falling back into old traps. Of course yourself, your flesh, your nature is going the wrong way. We are called as believers to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us. 
Here's what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. I keep asking God. I, I mean, I mean I, every single, I feel like it's one of these, I keep on asking. I'm always asking. I'm praying this exact same prayer time and time again. That the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, he might give you the Spirit. And, and I like how the NIV capitalizes Spirit here. I think he's really thinking Spirit as the Holy Spirit. Because remember, the Holy Spirit teaches us. Gives you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's just like... Not just the God would make me a smart person. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit's the one who's teaching. So it's the Holy Spirit as a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. I'm just going to take a quick aside here. Brothers and sisters, we can sometimes love doctrine. We can sometimes love salvation. We can sometimes love the knowledge of God and not love God. Beware of idols. Keep yourselves from idols, John tells us in 1 John. Keep your, an idol can be sometimes loving all of the... And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to poo-poo doctrine. Um, I, I mean, I, theology is important. Doctrine is important. But sometimes we can be enamored with all the things about God and not be enamored with God. He wants you to know him, experientially know him better. The Spirit of God helps us know those truths so that we can also live and walk in that faith in a relationship with him. I want you to know him better, but what does the Spirit also go on to say? He says, so that I pray that your eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you might know the hope that he's called you to. But I don't have time to talk about the hope. I, I really don't, but here's the hope. Jesus died for you. He rose again. If you have your faith in him, you have forgiveness once for all and forever. You have eternal life with him once for all and for eternity. There is a hope that we have that, that, that holds behind the veil, the scripture says, beyond death, that it's like an anchor for my soul. We have a hope as believers in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if it's raining or if it's sunny, whether I got money or I have none. I am content in any and every circumstance because there is a hope in my life. He's praying that the Holy Spirit would help us know that hope. He wants you to know what? The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints or in his holy people. Brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit helps us understand that you have an inheritance. <clears throat> now, I don't try to check on how my parents are doing financially, but you know, there's a, not that. In the saints, you are my inheritance. You realize that? That as brothers and sisters in Christ, you are my inheritance. You are my eternity. You are the ones who will be with me. You are my inheritance, and I belong to you. You are assigned by God to be a particular part of a particular body of Christ, a particular congregation. Sure, we share with all the believers, but we were assigned to a particular group of believers where your gifts fit with their gifts. We're going to be talking about that this morning in our Bible study hour, where your gifts fit with their gifts, and together we are able to accomplish the work of God in this world as a body, as a team. I need to know my inheritance because I'm thankful for those who bring music. I'm thankful for those who are praying faithfully. I'm thankful for those who are serving uh, so sacrificially. I am thankful for this body of Jesus. Some of the people aren't here this morning that I was going to call out uh, in particular. On Tuesday, some of you all helped with our mission project when we hosted New City Kids. That was fun. We had some people help out with that. I didn't know Tom could make such a great lasagna. And I didn't know Lily could make such an incredible, uh, man, what was that? Some kind of chocolate butterfinger pound cake thing that I was like, there were leftovers. 
there aren't any more. I could have shared them, but um, nobody else was around in the office when I was there. I, I'm just saying, they, were, they are gifts that brought out some food to help us serve and do a mission project. They blessed me in some ways that probably I didn't. <laughs> this frame you going to stay with me a little longer than it should. Um, but they blessed my, my, my soul, maybe not my waistline, but they blessed my soul because we serve together. We have riches in his glorious inheritance. Did you know all of this is part of his prayer? But all of this is not what I wanted to talk about today. What I want to talk about was this one, verse 19. This is the one I wanted to point out, that this Holy Spirit empowers and his incomparably great power for those of you who believe. What is that power? That is that strength of that Holy Spirit that brings that power to say no to sin, that bring, enables us to use our gifts, that allows us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that enables us to, he calls it, incomparably great power. You can't even compare it to anything. There is nothing to compare it to. Okay, God said that. Did you hear it in Isaiah chapter 40? David read it this morning. Isaiah 40, 25, what did it say? Look up in the sky. Who do you can compare me to? Or who is my equal, declares the Lord. I'm stuck. <laughs> who are you going to compare God to? And who are you going to compare his power to? Well, it's like the power of a million nuclear bombs. It's like the power of a, of, of a thousand stars in the universe all doing fusion reaction together. No, there is no power that compares with his power. He is God. There is no other. And that power, he says, oh, he does give a comparison. Did you hear it? There it is. Oh, there it is. It's like the power of his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every ruler and authority and power. You realize that God took death and just said, alive. And he said, alive, and he exalted Jesus to the highest place, the place he had by, during the creation of the world when all things were made by him and for him. He moved Jesus and exalted him to that highest place that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know what kind of power that takes. I just know when something's dead, it's dead. And there's no way to make it alive unless you got that kind of power. The, he wants you to know. He wants you to know. God, spirit of wisdom, revelation, the hope. He wants you to know the inheritance we have in the saints. But he wants you to know that that power is the power in you. That is the battery. That, and, it's not, and, I, and that's so limiting because the Holy Spirit is a person and the person of the Holy Spirit is strength. Susan led us in a prayer for our community, a prayer for the gospel to go out, a prayer. And as she was just praying, I was thinking, how are we going to get this done? How are we going to get this done? People don't want to know about it. She pointed it out in the, in the little devotional. Uh, people don't want to know. They have their excuses. They have their reasons. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit is the plan because the Holy Spirit convicts. That's that next point. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. In Acts chapter 1, Paul, uh, Jesus is saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses. The power leads to us being a witness. You will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. In John 15, Jesus says it this way, when that Holy Spirit, the advocate, the paraclete comes, when he comes, what is he going to do in, in John 15? Whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit is already alongside of you. As you are bringing the word of truth, as you are sharing about who Jesus is in your life, the Holy Spirit is also doing that work. The Holy Spirit is also doing the work. Listen to how it says in John 16 in the next chapter. He says, very truly, for it is good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. I keep thinking... I don't know. I kind of like Jesus. It would be great if he was here. I could be his follower. But all over the world, the Holy Spirit is working today. And it says in verse 8, when he comes, the Holy Spirit comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong. About sin, to be wrong about righteousness, and to be wrong about judgment. What does he mean? Well, Jesus explains, verse 9, about sin because people do not believe in me. You see, the ultimate sin is this rejection of Jesus. The ultimate sin is not letting God be God and his Messiah King be Messiah King. The ultimate sin is turning your back on Jesus. And he says, look, he, the Holy Spirit is testifying Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the Messiah. He is calling all people to himself. Verse 10, about righteousness? He says, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Jesus was righteousness incarnate. When he lived, what he said, what he did was righteous, was always righteous, was always in line with the Father. And you could see and look at Jesus and say, what should we do? What would Jesus do? <laughs> what did Jesus do? Jesus, what should we do? You could ask him, and every time he was righteousness right there. We don't have Jesus right here walking with us in that same way, but we have the Holy Spirit that guides us about righteousness. Here's what is right. Here's what is true. Remind us from the scripture. And finally, about judgment. We just don't like judgment. We just don't like the idea that, well, the prince of this world stands condemned, but that we would be judged, or that anyone else would be judged. You know, judge not lest you be judged. Didn't Jesus say that? We don't want... But the truth of the matter is, there is judgment in this life. There is ultimately what we have done is either covered by the blood of Jesus or either is paid for by Jesus or we're still stuck in that sin. I had a, a student, um, I like, I'll get this every semester. There's always that student that's not doing real well. They're not really didn't do their assignments. They really kind of didn't do well on a couple tests. They really haven't been coming to class much. And there at the end they're like, is there something I could do to get a C? You know, some magic paper I could write that would just be, woohoo, and now I went from F to C. There's a, so, something to make up for all of the things that I, 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 I did. And I'll tell you right now, I'm just not a magic paper kind of professor. And here's why. Because usually the magic paper isn't so magical. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. They're, <laughs> they're usually pretty bad. And, you're, and I'm like, eh, now I, I spent extra time grading something that's still not going to get you to a C because this wasn't that good. And especially now that... <clears throat> It might have been written by ChatGBT or something, right? I'm like, I don't even know that you wrote this. It might have been some computer out there that wrote this whole thing, and I'm not so sure that you get credit for that either. I, I, I'm just not, there, there's nothing you can, I keep telling them, here's what you can do. 
Come to class. <laughs> do well on the final. Do well on the last assignment. Come to class. Do your, there's nothing. And if it's too late, it's just too late. I'm so thankful that we have a Savior that doesn't believe it's too late. I'm so thankful that in my class there may not be grace, but with the Lord Jesus Christ, he has given us grace. He has come, and there is judgment, but he has already paid for those sins. He has already died on the cross, and he has made a way for eternity. We proclaim that truth. We are joining with believers in the world to proclaim that truth. And we're joining with the Holy Spirit, who is going ahead of us to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, to convict the world of who Jesus is, what is righteous of the judgment to come. It's not up to me. It's not, I'm not going to argue anybody into the kingdom. The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside is already accomplishing the task. Brothers and sisters, this is a church that's being revived. I don't know how we're going to get there. But I don't need to. The Holy Spirit is the plan. I don't want you to miss this, but there's also a place. There's a plan and a place. That was the title of the sermon. But this had a plan and a place. The world is the place. I mean, the world is our place. God has said that the whole world, Jesus said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus was saying that, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And there's the place. Jerusalem. Then Judea and Samaria. And then the ends of the earth. When you read the book, the rest of the book of Acts, certainly the apostles did. The Holy Spirit came, and they stayed in Jerusalem. For the most part, they stayed right there, and the church was just in Jerusalem. For the first several chapters of Acts, there were miracles. The church was growing for 2,000, 5,000. It kept expanding daily, those who were giving their lives to Christ, and they were in a specific place assigned to them. But then persecution broke out. And in Acts chapter 8, as the persecution after the stoning of Stephen, all of a sudden the disciples, uh, most of them scattered. Where? Judea and Samaria. One man from Ethiopia. <laughs> but it begins to spread. Later, by the time you get to Acts 13, it says that God sent out Barnabas and Saul and John Mark on a missionary journey that God had sent them out on to spread the good news of Jesus to the rest of the Roman world. What's the point? You don't have to be everywhere. The Holy Spirit's everywhere. He's working through his people. But you need to be that witness in the place he's assigned you for right now. It might not be the same place. It might be somewhere for these two years and somewhere else two years from now. But for now, be in the place God has assigned you, in that body of believers, in that workplace, in your, with your family members, at school. Where has God placed you to be the witness of God and of, of the Holy Spirit and mostly of the good news of Jesus Christ. God has given us a plan. He's given us a, a place. The questions are this. Are you living? Are you living in that power and presence of the Holy Spirit right now? Are you serving in the place that the Holy Spirit has assigned you? And I guess there's one other question. Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? You see, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you do. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never asked him to be your savior, to forgive you of your sins, then no, you're not the new creation yet. But you can be. You can be. The grace of God extends to all of us. The invitation is yours. Come, be part of this church, 
But most importantly, come. Be part of the kingdom of God. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, today's your day. Come, say yes to him. If you're watching online, today is your day. Respond to Jesus. Today, Scott's going to lead us in a song. As he does, um, the, the altar's open if you need to come and pray. If you want to come and say, look, this is my church, and God has assigned me here, I want to join, you can come. This is a good time to decide that. If you need to respond to Jesus Christ and say, yeah, yeah, I, I, I need him. I need that salvation. You come. Feel free right now. Come to the front or right where you are. Say yes to Jesus. Let's pray, and Scott will lead us. Father, we just say yes to all that you have for us wherever you've assigned us, and we say yes, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.